Good morning, everyone. Tempted to leave it just at that. Those of you who are here for Good Friday know how powerful it can be to hear the word of the the Lord read well and just to let it register with you and meditate on it without further comment. On Good Friday, we paused to remember the cross. We paused to remember what it meant that Christ died for the sins of those who turned their backs on him. One of the things that I said at the start of that service to kind of help set the tone is that if you're really paying attention on Good Friday, Good Friday says more about the nature of God, more about who he is than anything else. Because in the cross, we see not just that God is loving, he is. We come to understand why the Bible says that God is love itself. How love incarnate responds to the sin of man. But the resurrection is profoundly important as well. Because... First, it vindicated what happened on Good Friday. It vindicated what happened on the cross. And it also makes a difference in our lives now and in the future. You don't have to be a Christian to feel the impact, the secondary ripple effect of the resurrection. Let me just give you a few examples of how this plays itself out. First of all, Christianity is the largest religion in the world today at over 30% of the world's population. That's some 2.5% billion people in this world adhere to some form of Christianity. There is no other explanation for the spread of Christianity to this magnitude than that Jesus actually rose from the dead. If he didn't, there would be no Christianity. Just consider those first disciples, as we heard about on Good Friday, who, upon seeing Jesus arrested and the pressures of those who were trying to accuse them of being his followers, they scattered And yet after the third day, when Jesus purportedly had risen, from that point on, they lived boldly for him so that 11 of the 12 disciples ended up dying as martyrs for their belief that they had met the risen Jesus Christ and that he was in fact the son of God. And the impact of that is that now Christianity has a presence on every continent, nearly in every country, and most of the world has encountered the presence of a Christian at one point in time or another. Much of the world has also experienced the benefit of Christian initiatives as well. Let me just give you a few examples of that. The first large-scale hospital was established by Christians in the 4th century, which led to much of the healthcare, uh, the, the modern healthcare that we take for granted today. The foundations for education in this country were largely laid by Christians. It was Christian conviction that understanding the world that we live in helps us to understand the God who made it, which led to the founding of so many prestigious institutions. Even though many may not be holding to a Christian worldview today, many of them are household names. Institutions like Harvard and Yale and Princeton and so forth. The modern adopted calendar by most of the world today was commissioned by the church in the 1500s. Year numbering in the Western Hemisphere begins with the assumed date of Jesus' birth. That's why we say that we live in 2023. The Bible is the best-selling book of all time, with some 5 billion copies in print that have been sold and distributed throughout the world. Some of the most well-known art and music that's ever been produced has been produced by Christians or influenced by Christianity, whether it's Leonardo da Vinci's The Last Supper or Michelangelo's The Sistine Chapel or the music of Johann Sebastian Bach. 
Christians have also historically been champions of scientific advancement and discovery with household names like Isaac Newton that discovered, who discovered the laws uh, of gravity amongst other things. The list could go on. So many impacts as a result of hinging upon whether this man actually rose from the dead or not and the implications that we all feel. But even more important to me than these secondary impacts of the resurrection are the ways the resurrection makes a difference uniquely for those who've trusted in Christ. And I want to mention three of those this morning to you. Number one, the resurrection of Jesus makes a difference because it proved that Jesus was always in control up to and through his crucifixion. On Good Friday, we heard Jesus say and do a number of things that was either showing an incredible restraint on his part, or it was just a charade. When Peter pulled out a sword to defend Jesus from arrest, when Judas brought the mob from the chief priests with him, Jesus told him to put it away. And he said in response to Peter, if I needed to, I could call more than 12 legions, tens of thousands of angels to come and to deliver me in this moment. Just for frame of reference, in 2 Kings in the Old Testament, one angel is credited with wiping out 186,000 Assyrian warriors who had laid siege against King Hezekiah and Israel. Now this means one thing if Jesus really had the power to do this, but it's just a lot of talk if he didn't. When Jesus is being wrongly accused by the chief priests before Pilate, when he had every right to defend himself, he remarkably remained silent. That means one thing if he actually had the power to prove his identity in that moment. And it means a whole other thing if he didn't. On the cross, we see Jesus is baited and heckled by the onlookers to come down off the cross if he's indeed who he actually says he is, the Son of God. But he stays up on the cross till he gives up his last breath, even asking God to forgive those who had put him there in his own words because they didn't know what they were doing. That means one thing if Jesus really had the power to come down off the cross. It means a whole other thing if he didn't. If Jesus didn't rise, then his seemingly profound restraint and patience in these situations wasn't strength. It was weakness. It was just a charade. But Jesus did rise from the dead. And the implications are profound. Because it means in each of these instances, Jesus had infinite power. But he chose not to use it out of love and out of a commitment to a plan that would yield a greater good than if he used that power to vindicate himself or to serve himself. Jesus rose from the dead, proving that he had power over death all along, that he laid down his life willingly as a choice out of love. In John 10, 17 to 18, Jesus said, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Because Jesus rose from the dead, it means he really could have prevented his death to begin with. And the implications of that are significant for you and for me as well this morning. God is not powerless in any circumstance in your life or my life either. For some... It might be a consolation to believe that God weeps with you in your suffering as he looks on, helpless to do anything about it, because at least then he is not to blame for it. 
But for me, Jesus' death and resurrection shows something different. Not that God doesn't weep with us in our suffering. I believe that he does. But if God is always in control, then our suffering too must have purpose even if we can't see it in this moment. And if God gave his precious son to die for you and for me, then his purposes can be trusted as good even in the midst of your own suffering. The implications are huge that Jesus rose from the dead when he could have prevented his own death to begin with. The second way in which the resurrection of Jesus makes a difference is that it showed us that this life is not all that there is. Let me ask you what is undoubtedly rhetorical question. Do you ever get sad or overwhelmed by the amount of suffering that exists in this world, in your own life or in the world around you? 99.9% of you are internally or externally nodding yes to that. Um, If you're age 20 or over, maybe even younger than that. We've all experienced that. For the other 0.01%, I don't know what planet you live on. We all experience that sadness at times, that things aren't the way that they're supposed to be. But Jesus' resurrection shows us that there is a do-over of sorts that awaits us, that God will make all things new again, that just as Jesus triumphed over Satan and sin and death and rose with a new body that was better than his old one, there is a new heavens and a new earth that awaits us in which there will be no Satan, sin, and death. There will be no tears or sorrow or pain as we know it now, and it will far surpass the greatest experiences that we've had on this earth that in every way imaginable and even unimaginable. What the resurrection does is it brings hope. And hope has great power when we find ourselves in difficult circumstances. Because if Jesus really did rise from the dead, then his promise that we will follow him in that is secure. Occasionally, I will walk through a cemetery. It's just a sobering thing for me. And I'll read the different inscriptions on the headstones. And I remember there being this one that said something like this, here lies Bob, he lived a good life. And I just remember thinking to myself, how sad. Now, I don't know what Bob or his family who inscribed that on his behalf meant. I don't know if they did believe that there was more to life than just this life, but it certainly read as if there was only a temporal hope, like the only consolation for Bob's departure from this world was that at least he had lived a good life. More recently, in contrast, I came across some inscriptions. These ones, by the way, were from the 1800s. The old ones are almost always the best, although they're getting harder and harder to read. So in a couple decades, you may not be able to see them anymore. Here were just a couple that I came across. Go home, dear friends. Wipe off your tears. Here I must lie till Christ appears. And another, friends nor physicians could not save my mortal body from the grave. Nor can the grave confine me here when Christ my Savior shall appear. These words embody what was most important to these people, and there's great hope in them. The hope that there's more to life than just this life. Which leads me to my last point today. We've seen how the resurrection, resurrection makes a difference because it proved that Jesus was always in control, because it showed us that this life is not all that there is. And what that does is this. It frees us up to live for him fully now. Which is great. 
Because Jesus says a lot about storing up your treasures in heaven and not here on earth, which we do by denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following after Jesus, dying to ourselves daily, sometimes that feels like death. But when you have eternal life to look forward to, you have hope in your present sufferings. Every risk that you take for Jesus now, though it may cost you something in this life, will count in eternity. In Matthew 5, Jesus talks about how those who are persecuted because they are living for him can rejoice. Why? Because their reward will be great in heaven. A chapter later in Matthew 6, Jesus exhorts us not to lay up for ourselves treasures here on earth, which will disappear, but treasures in heaven, which will last for eternity. In Romans 8, the Apostle Paul says that he considers the suffering of this present time not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Everything that we may lose now by trusting and serving and loving Jesus more than ourselves will be more than made up for in eternity. Hear that. If your hope resides only in what you can get out of this life, then you'll only live for the things of this world. But if your hope resides in the risen Christ, then you'll live differently. You will live for him, and you will live for the world to come. This is the difference that the resurrection of Jesus makes for those who trust in him. We're going to be having uh, some baptisms take place in just a few moments this morning. Emmett Miller and Sam Allen and Ruth Messick are all going to be getting baptized. I'm going to let them, to do, or let them do most of the talking here this morning in terms of their testimonies and what baptism means to them, but just a few words for those of you who are unfamiliar with baptism. Baptism isn't something that you do to get saved, to become a follower of Christ. It's an outward resp- expression of an inward reality of something that has already taken place in your life. It's an act of obedience that symbolizes faith in what Jesus has already done for you. That's what they are going to be doing this morning. Faith that Jesus died for them, for their sins. Faith that Jesus has forgiven them by virtue of their faith and what he's done for them. Faith that he's cleansed them of the penalty of their sin. Faith that he gives them resurrection power to walk in newness of life and more pictured in baptism. We'll hear hear their stories on video, and then we'll witness their baptisms. But let me just say to Ruth and to Sam and to Emmett this morning, and all who are in Christ this morning, these words in close. Because Jesus is risen and you trust in him, you can confidently cling to these truths this morning. First, the resurrection proved that Jesus was always in control. So no matter what happens in your life, You can have confidence that you're in the hands of an all-powerful God who has a good plan for your life. Number two, the resurrection showed us that this life is not all that there is. So you can have confidence that whatever suffering and loss you experience in this life, it will be overshadowed by the life that is to come that God has prepared for you. And number three, the resurrection frees you to live for him now. Because every risk that you take for Jesus, every act of obedience in loving him and in loving others, it will all count in eternity. Would you pray with me? Father, we give you, thank you. We give you thanks for the, the message of hope that comes from the reality of Jesus' resurrection. 
Lord, I pray that for anyone here this morning who has not yet received the good news of salvation through Christ's death, vindicated by his resurrection, that they would today. And I pray, Father, that as your people, we would live empowered by the hope that this life is not all that there is and that every risk that we take in the name of Jesus is seen by you and will be rewarded in the life to come that will last forever. Father, I pray for Sam and Emmett and Ruth this morning. I pray that you'd give them peace in their hearts. I pray that you'd help them to be fully present in these moments as they bear witness to the work that you've done in their life. Lord, we thank you for this chance to celebrate your divine mercy and grace and love as we see it lived out through their lives in these baptisms. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.